It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And this is the Virtual Bible Study for August 9th, 2012. We welcome you to our program tonight. We're glad that you're here. And we encourage you to join in the discussion at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. And my father, Greg Gwynn, is here. I'm Jacob Gwynn. Hello, Dan. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Looking forward to our discussion. I think we've got something interesting, and I think the amount of feedback we've been receiving oh, indicates people are interested. This is, a, this is one of the most responded to updates that you've sent in a long time. Yeah. And so we're going to have our work cut out for us tonight, uh, getting through all these emails. And hopefully you will add some to that pile and add your comments in the chat room to the right of your video window if you're watching us on the live stream. Tonight, Dan is here behind the controls. Glad to have Dan behind the controls, and he's ready to take your call at 877-381-4567. Get you on the air with us tonight. As we look at a claim that one uh, disgruntled gentleman is making and claiming that the Church of Christ is a cult. Yeah, Jacob, we got an email about a week ago from a regular listener, Ramona. I believe she's yeah. in Texas. Yes. And she had come across this website, and it bothered her, and she sent the link to me and wondered what I thought. I, I wrote back and said, we're going to try to address that on the program, because uh, it it uh, makes certain charges, uh, accusations against uh, the Church of Christ and members of it. And uh, so I thought it would be really good to, to deal with those things. One of the things I hope people realize about us is we do not shy away when people say, you're wrong about this or that. Right. We will analyze it, consider it. If we're wrong, we want to correct it. If right. we're right, we want to defend it. Right. And so we're not we're not intimidated when somebody says that that's not true, or what you're saying is false, or your practice is uh, not scriptural. Well, let's look it over. Let's see what they say. All right. So as we want to do tonight, you pose some questions. I guess we can just sort of take those as we come to them. We'll tonight. probably want to take them as we come to them because yep. they're rather lengthy ones, and we're not going to get to all of this tonight. I, I'm I've got this. Uh, document that's produced on this website the website by the way i sent it out i sent the link out uh on uh, the update today as always remind you get on that update list if you're not send us an email and we'll put you on the update list our email is question at collegeview.com the link to this if you didn't get it it's www.chocd that stands for church of christ denomination chocd.org uh, and that and that should get you to this guy's. So website. this guy is so worked up that he's gone yeah. out and got a domain name just for this. Apparently so. And the uh, and and this is super fine print, Jacob. It's almost too little to yeah, read, yeah. and there's six pages of it. Yeah. So there's a lot there. We're not going to be able to reference it all. And the, but I do want to try to deal with some of his main points, and I think probably we'll have to spill this over to next week. And it's just just the whole approach uh, is something that uh, leaves me with a bad feeling. Uh, the, the, the title of this webpage, I guess, is Is the Church of Christ a Cult? Question mark. 
And he goes through this long dissertation at the very end. He says, no, they're not a cult. And, uh, but he says we're so close it doesn't make any difference. Well, but, you know, if I, how would he like it if whoever this is, let's say his name's John Doe. What if I said, what if I had a website that, and the, the title of the website is John Doe, a neo-Nazi, you know, wacko, cat-kicking, whatever you want to call it. And then at the end, no, he's not. You know, uh, that's, that's not fair, and that's the, that's not a good approach. Yeah, the guy does give a contact a point uh Freedom Quest Ministries in Calhan, Cal, Calhan, Colorado, I guess it is. But uh, he doesn't give his name. Uh, so uh, he's a former member of the Church of Christ and apparently quite disgruntled former member of the Church of Christ. Uh, yeah, but lots, I, I of, say, lots of things to talk about. One of the things is that please keep in mind on this site uh, we're not uh, – we're not, uh, where was it, uh, we're not saying that, uh, yeah, our goal is not to proclaim them to be outside of the body of Christ, but to simply show the errors in their claim. Yeah. Well, if if the Church of Christ is not outside the body, why do go all those trouble here? Yeah. I mean, uh, it, does it matter? One of the things, and for those of us who are members of the, of the Church of Christ, uh, as you read this and you read the demeanor and tone of what the man has written, it's quite negative, harsh, uh, very cynical, I think we can learn something about that, and I hope that we display that on the virtual Bible study. I'm not saying we're perfect at that. We 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 slip from time to time, maybe come across in a wrong way, but uh, when we disagree, never compromise the truth. Never compromise what you believe. That, I mean, that's that's rule one. But but the close follow-up to that is that we can treat one another with respect and kindness. Uh, this guy is very hateful in the way he presents his case. Unnecessarily so. If, if if there's something that you disagree with us about, say so, and we'll talk about it. But I, I just think that we can learn what not to do by observing the methods that this man has employed on his website. And one other observation, the term cult is a very vague term, yeah. and uh, it's easily used to uh, sort of uh, taint the discussion and uh, cast a negative light on whatever religion you're examining, and that may be a lesson to learn as well. well, is well we need know, to be careful about labeling other people cults. Well, you know, in the book of Acts, uh, a, a synonym to the word cult is found, the word sect, S-E-C-T. Mm-hmm. And the, the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ were called a sect. Uh, and, for instance, in Acts 24, 5, we have found this man, Paul, a pestilent fellow, a mover of sedition among all Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Uh, well, uh, that that kind of accusation is voiced for a reason. I mean, it's, it's, to, it's to bring about a, a reaction. A response. Oh, a cult. Yeah. A sect. Oh, uh, they must be wrong. They got to be wrong. Right. Immediately. Yeah. yeah. So, and again, we don't we don't really need that. Uh, we don't we don't need to approach things that way. And and so I would just encourage all as you're reading this man's document about is the Church of Christ denomination a cult? Just m- maybe make a point. Uh, uh, again, I think rule one: we never compromise truth. But rule two is. Even when we disagree, we've had a lot of people on the virtual Bible study, Jacob, that we've disagreed with uh, over time. And I hope they have all left with, uh, and, and many have commented that they felt like they were dealt with in a, in a, a fair-handed way. And we've had some guests on more than once. That shows that they, they feel that we're fair with them. And yeah. I think that would, in and of itself, would be an indication that we're not a cult. I don't think this is a practice that cults would be engaged in of 
welcoming those with differing opinions to present their side of, yeah. of, of view. Yeah, the, instead of uh, uh, constructing an anonymous website, how about coming on the virtual Bible study? Let's talk about our difference. Yeah, there's an so, Maybe we should contact. Maybe we can is. make make some contact with yeah. this, this man, whoever he is. He doesn't give his name. Okay. All right. So the questions. Let's go to the questions that we sent out today. And I got them here. So I've got so much stuff on my desk here, Jacob. Oh, hey, here it is. You got a ream of paper over there. Yeah. To get yeah. Uh, this fella says, starting out, and again, we can only we can only pick certain things out. It's a very long document. We can't parse it word by word or sentence by sentence. But here's what he said. Most, not all, congregations of the Church of Christ denomination claim that they can trace their roots back to the original New Testament church in the same way that the Catholic Church claims they can trace the papacy back to the Apostle Peter. Both claims are equally spurious. The reality is, in 1906, the Church of Christ denomination broke away from the Christian church, was established in the mid-1800s by Alexander Campbell during the so-called Restoration Movement. I... First thing I would say about that, Jacob, I feel no compulsion to try and trace, in other words, make an actual lineage and be able to go year by year through the centuries, all, by, all the way back to the first century and say, the church that I'm a member of right here, this local congregation, College View Church of Christ, is organically tied by virtue of an unbroken chain all the way back to the first century. I've got news for this guy. He can't do it either. I don't know what religious organization he's a part of, but he can't do it either. Right. And I, I don't feel any burden to do that. Right. What I believe is that if we do the same thing, we read about a church in the pages of the New Testament. If we do the same thing that they did, right. if we teach the same doctrine, if we engage in the same practices, if we follow the same pattern, then we're, we are that same church. Uh, if, if you had a grain of corn that was from the first century and you planted it here in 2012 and it sprouted, and that's possible to do, then that corn plant, would be just like the corn that was growing back there in the first century. Right. And that's what we're saying. We plant that same seed, we grow that same organization. Right. And so we're not saying that we can trace an unbroken. Now, the Catholics, on the other hand, say they can't. Yeah. The Catholics say that they can trace an unbroken chain of succession all the way back to the Apostle Peter. I don't think they can. But I, and I, of course, I think their sources contradict themselves as to what that chain would I, look like. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's a huge problem. But again, uh, to compare what we're saying to what the Catholics claim concerning the papacy is just a, what you see this guy doing a lot here, Jacob, is what I call straw man argument argumentation. Yeah. Build an argument and then knock it down. But that's not our argument. In other words, he, he's in doing that. It's like. He claims a victory over us because he's proved us wrong at a point, a point that we don't even believe. Right. He, he, he goes in and bashes that towards the end of the article as well, this whole straw man idea. Let's go through our listeners' responses quickly. Well, yeah, look, before we do that, I got a bit, let, me get, let me get something up. Uh, Dan, I got a, a, a slide there uh, that you might put up on the screen. Uh, our friend Mike Mailer in uh, Indiana. Orleans, uh, Orleans, Indiana. Orleans, Indiana. I saw him a couple weeks ago, by the way. Oh, you did? Uh, yeah. And uh, he... He put out uh, some information about this, and he's got a picture. You probably won't be able to make out what it says on the picture, but the picture is of a tombstone, and it's at the Cane Ridge Meeting House in Kentucky, uh, near Paris, Kentucky. I've okay. been there. Okay. And on this tombstone, it reads... Did you see this tombstone in person? Yeah. You did. It says, William Rogers, born in Campbell County, Virginia, June 7, 1784, 
removed with his father to Cane Ridge, Bourbon County. That's in Kentucky. That's where this place is. April 1798. United with the Church of Christ at Cane Ridge in 1807. Died February 15, 1862, in the 78th year of his age. Now, notice, he united with a Church of Christ at Cane Ridge in 1807. Alexander Campbell didn't even migrate to the United States until 1809. Mm. There was a Church of Christ in Bourbon County, Kentucky, near Paris, Kentucky, at Cane Ridge. There was a Church of Christ meeting there two years before Alexander Campbell even came to the United States. So how could it be said that Alexander Campbell established the Church of Christ? Uh, There are other examples like that. Uh, Wayne Jackson documented uh, what Alexander Campbell himself said about being called the the founder Mm -hmm. of the Church of Christ. He says, some religious editors in Kentucky call those who are desirous of seeing the ancient order of things restored, the the restorationers or the Campbellites. This may go well with some, but all who fear God and keep his commands will pity and deplore the weakness and folly of those who either think to convince or persuade by such means. He said, concerning Campbellism, he said it's a nickname of reproach invented and adopted by those whose views, feelings, and desires are all sectarian, who cannot conceive Christianity in other, any other light than an ism. Mm. So Campbell disavowed it, uh, and there's plenty of evidence that Churches of Christ exist both in America and in Europe before Alexander Campbell ever came on the scene. All right. We're going to take a break, and we'll get our listeners' responses to this claim which is, you called it a straw man argument. Some have misheard you and thought you called it a strong man argument. No, no, no it's strong. not strong. It's weak. Strong, it's straw. Straw man. Build it up and knock it down and act like you really did something when right. you didn't do anything at all. Yep. And uh, that's what we're talking about here. We'll talk uh, with you on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist? But that's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist, but has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening the door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door, counts to ten, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist, but only a few have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, but only a few put their faith in Him for salvation by doing what He says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance, please contact us. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Here's some quotes worth pondering. We don't fail because we don't know what to do. We fail because we don't do what we know we should do. 
We must look for the opportunity in every difficulty instead of being paralyzed at the thought of the difficulty in every opportunity. History has demonstrated that the most notable winners usually encountered heartbreaking obstacles before they triumphed. They won because they refused to become discouraged by their defeats. Man, I wish I'd said that. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We welcome you back to the program as we're talking about claims that the Church of Christ is a cult. And the first claim was that we thought we could trace our lineage straight back to the New Testament unbroken chain. Yeah, and as we said, we don't feel that that's you know what we claim or even feel any necessary uh, reason to defend that concept. We don't believe it. Uh, uh, let's get we got tons of emails, Jacob. Let's get some of these emails, and I haven't even looked in the chat room. Uh, is the there, chat room? There is, uh, there's some chatter in the chat room. We'll get to Anthony in Columbia says this this claim is completely false. He says, I don't know anyone in the Lord's Church that claims we can produce an unbroken chain of church genealogy back to the first century. Is that my microphone or my headphones? Microphone. No, well, you go ahead. I'll, I'll finish my microphone. Uh, uh, perhaps the misunderstanding is that we do not firmly assert that the church began in Acts 2.38 and has always existed in some form or fashion. Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We assert that we are following the same pattern as the New Testament church, but not because we have a bloodline in the, app, in the form of an apostle or anything else, it's because we're doing the same things they did as outlined in Scripture. Regardless of claims that certain individuals started the Church of Christ, if we in the year 2012 are doing what the Bible says, we can confidently say that we are the church. We hold to no man-made creeds. Spot on, Anthony. Spot on. All right, Jim in Kentucky, who's in the chat room tonight, if you'd like to chat with Jim, says the claim is phony. Members do not claim to trace their roots back to the original New Testament. We believe it is possible to restore the New Testament church today by following commands, examples, and precepts provided by God in the New Testament. Anyone who obeys the gospel plan of salvation will become a Christian. It is not about tracing anything. It is simply about following God's word. This claim is a straw man, which they seek to destroy by prejudicing their readers and hearers by lumping us with the Catholic church. Thank you, Jim. All right, and Chris in Atlanta says, we don't trace our roots back to any organization or man. We simply open the Bible and see how the first church worshipped and led their lives, and we use only Scripture as our guide, Second Timothy three sixteen and 17. Verse 17 says that this word will equip us for every good work. We don't use a creed book from any man or group. You're right, Chris, exactly right. Then we got a couple of emails, Jacob, from people who are not identified as members of the Church of Christ. The first is Chris in the U.K. Yeah. We haven't heard from Chris in a few weeks. Chris, great to hear from you again. Uh, he gives a definition of a cult. He says any group that deviates from biblical, orthodox, historical Christianity, that is, they deny the deity of Christ, his physical resurrection, his personal and physical return to earth and salvation by faith alone. From my time listening to your podcast, I found that you affirm the deity of Christ. You believe in his bodily resurrection as well as his future bodily return to earth. And among other things, you believe that salvation is by faith alone. There are other actions or works needed, but faith is the basis of them. So I can't see how anyone would uh, see how you are a cult or thrust that label upon you. He says, uh, I'm not a member of the Church of Christ, but uh, he goes on. Uh, to, well, let's get to his answer. He says, concerning who started the Church of Christ, was it Alexander Campbell? He says, as a non-member, I would have to take your word for it. It neither makes or not makes you a cult. For if you are then, so are the Methodists, as they were founded and established by one man, Charles Wesley. But I believe neither you nor they are founded on their writings, rather they are founded on Scripture. And also, we might make a distinction here. He says, uh, first, I must admit surprise that you call yourselves a denomination, as I think a few months ago you argued as to whether members of denominations would be saved. Uh, 
we're not to calling ourselves a denomination, and that's so, what this man's what calls he's it. called it. But we need and to make sure that we don't we're not we're not a, a agreeing to that term. Yeah, we passed over that as yeah. uh, just because we don't know how. It's a little hard to pick pick and choose what we should yeah. answer. But uh, as as Chris rightly comments, we have talked about denominationalism in the past, and we 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 do not believe that denominationalism is what God wants. Right. And so uh, we can comment about that at another time. But uh, thank you, Chris. We'll keep. We'll come back to you again. All right. Uh, and then we've got Patrick. Uh, who is he, that? he passed over this one. Oh, he didn't answer this. One. Okay. I All think right. you've got some other emails that I don't. Maybe they may be. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think that they have addressed okay. this first question. Uh, I've got Don in uh, Antioch, Tennessee, a frequent participant on the virtual Bible study. Don, thanks. He said, if, instead of replying to each specific point, I would li- just like to say this, as I have said before, that anyone who expects to get to heaven and had, had better believe he is of the Church of Christ, I'm not talking about a sign out front or a denomination that claims to not be a denomination. I'm talking about Christ's true church. The points from this website that you plan to discuss tonight just goes to show how uninformed they are. I was raised in the Church of Christ, and I know for a fact that the accusations made are false. But you should know that when you refer to these accusations as slanderous, this is the same feeling I have when people talk about my belief by twisting things around and saying Don believes this or Don believes that, when they actually do not know what Don believes. A good example is when I use the word elect. This is passed off as being Calvinistic, but the word elect is in the New Testament many times more than the word Christian, and I believe it is the elect who are the real Church of Christ. I would agree with that statement, by the way, Don. Uh, Don, we know uh, Don knows we disagree with him on a number of points, yeah. and the reason why we disagree with Don on some points is because we've been dealing with Don for a number of years, even before this program began. When you did another program yeah. in Nashville, Jacob, yeah. Don often responded. We we love Don and we we appreciate his comments, but Don, I hope that you know that when we disagree with some of the points you make, it, it's based upon a, a fairly thorough understanding of your positions, and that's what we're saying. You know, we. we before we accuse someone or disagree with someone, we ought to at least understand what they're saying. And I think Don makes a fair point there, and, and, and we should do that. All right. Uh, yes, we do. We should. And, uh, Don, we don't want to label you as a Calvinist because uh, uh, we don't believe that you believe in all the tenets that Calvin believed in. But uh, your, uh, your understanding of some of those uh, uh, doctrines do line up. We believe with what Calvin had taught, and so that that may be some of the confusion. Hey, Jacob, uh, real quick before, and, and I, won't, I don't have a way to get this on the screen, but Jim in, in Kentucky has sent a tombstone. He said, "Here's the tombstone that says that a man named Jacob Ellicott was a deacon of the Boston Church of Christ. So a Church of Christ meeting in Boston. He died in 1695, over a hundred years before." Alexander Campbell came to the U.S. and about 100 years even before Alexander Campbell was born. And the, the whole purpose of that argument is just to show that uh, we don't believe that Alexander Campbell founded the Church of Christ, that we believe it was founded by Christ, and uh, and so we're not uh, looking to a human founder. And that's just the argument that's being made by those tombstones. Yeah, thank you, Jim, for sending that. All right. Uh, All right, so I think we've... Pretty thoroughly covered. Anything in the in the chat room? Yeah, Patrick in uh, Iowa is starting to go to sleep. He says he's having trouble with the sound. It's dropping away. I think that could be a, your your eyelids might be dropping too, Pat. Maybe that's the problem. Don't know. Anybody else having trouble? Let us know. Uh, someone asked, "Where did you get a picture of that graveyard?" I got it from Mike Mailer in Indiana, but I've got a copy of it. And if you send me an email, I'll email it to you. Ooh, we got a deal. Questions okay. at collegeview.com. Questions at collegeview.com. If you want that picture. Uh, of the 
Tombstone at the Cane Ridge meeting place in uh, in Bourbon County, Kentucky. Uh, send me an email. I'll send it. To you. Okay. Patrick is going to sleep because Anthony says he's okay. He hears us fine. Okay. Uh, got, we've got proof. Okay. And then we got it. Uh, we got a guest seven thirty nine. Uh, who says to members of the Church of Christ, if you can serve no, the that's, Lord? That's the, that's the claim. He's a, it's a disclaimer this gentleman makes at the oh, end. Oh, 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 oh. And he says he's not, he shows that he, he this uh, guest 739 says that this, uh, in this listener's uh, understanding, shows that this writer is not interested in having an open discussion, but just trying to get people on his side. Okay, all right. And so good. we'll look at that probably at the end if we have time. Okay, good deal. All right. All right, so we got to, I hope we've covered sufficiently that first claim uh I, I think we see that what the guy says is just completely off the mark yeah but and, uh, you know so it would be better to get your facts together before you make this accusation i think the accusation is way off okay right. now another... he's, getting, he's getting ready to use another term that is uh somewhat vague and it does tend to prejudice those who are considering the argument yeah the word is legalism. This is the second quote that we sent out, seeking your comments about it. He says, legalism ab- absolutely permeates their thinking. That's talking about us. Yes. Legalism completely permeates our thinking. As an example, many people outside the Church of Christ denomination are not aware of the extremely legalistic Church of Christ denomination position on marriage. They teach if you were married but your spouse runs off with another man or woman and years later you remarry. They insist that in order for you to become a member of their denomination, you must divorce your current spouse, track down your first spouse, and remarry her. If she refuses to remarry you, you then must remain single for the rest of your life. That's crazy. That's just absolutely bizarre. It's not based in any kind of do you, fact. Do at you all. believe that? I don't believe that. Okay. But there's not enough. There's not nearly enough information there to make a determination about the case that he's referring to at all. Do we believe that you have to follow Jesus' instruction on divorce and remarriage? Yes, yes. we do. Yeah. Now, if that's a crime, throw us in the jail and throw away the key. But but that 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 he just said is not anywhere close to what Jesus said. We don't yeah. know. And then he go. By the way, in his uh, essay, he goes on to say, "I received an email the other day." From a frantic and frustrated lady, her 92-year-old dad was dying. His name Jerry. Someone from the Church of Christ denomination sent a preacher over to see him because although he was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, he had not been baptized for the remission of sins. According to the preacher, Jerry was going to hell, although the old man had been a Christian for over 40 years. When the Church of Christ preacher found out that Jerry's first wife had run out on him 50 years ago and that he had remarried, the preacher told him that if he wanted to go to heaven, he'd have to do two things. Get rebaptized the Church of Christ way divorce his second wife of 45 years and repent for remarrying. Never mind the fact that they had three children. Never mind the fact that the man wasn't even a, a believer when he remarried. Never mind anything, but just do it. And the senile old man, infused with fear and doubt, divorced his wife of 45 years. When he died, she was left penniless and brokenhearted. The Church of Christ denomination preacher on the other hand walked away with his head high and nose in the air, knowing he had saved that man's soul. Many people outside the Church of Christ denomination are shocked to hear the convoluted logic in this hyper-legalistic perspective. Oh, now it's not just legalistic, it's hyper-legalistic. Boy, run away. Yeah, and again, but what's interesting, even in that, and he goes into more detail in this episode, but he doesn't tell us anything about the case of that man and his yeah. and, and, the, and the situation with his first wife. Yeah. We've talked about divorce and remarriage n- numerous times on the virtual Bible study. 
of Matthew 19, 9, Matthew 5, 32 are two key passages. They're not the only ones. But they teach that there is a, uh, the general rule of Jesus is one man, one woman for life. What God has joined together, let not man put us under, Matthew right. 19, verse 6. Right. There is an exception stated in verse 9 of Matthew 19. And that is that if your spouse commits fornication, you can divorce your mate for that reason and remarry without sin. But if you are a if you are a put away person, you cannot remarry without sin. That's uh, that's pretty simplified and maybe too simplified. There's a lot of, there's a lot that goes into that discussion. But this fella, I think, has presented this case again in order to prejudice the minds of those people who might read his website. He doesn't give enough information for us to even know the case that he's talking about. And if it's legalism to teach what Jesus taught, then we'll just have to wear that label. All right. Now, uh, we have an example. This guy has a, he, this guy poses the uh, the scenario of the man with 45 years. He, he'd been married to this woman. He didn't have, let's just assume that he didn't have a right to be married to her. And the instruction was for him to get right with God is to divorce that woman, even though they had been married for a long time and they had and even children. Even though they had kids. It, that's just a foreign, legalistic, crazy, oddball, weirdo thing that surely God would never expect someone to do that in order to be pleasing to him. Well, the fact of the matter is God has and does require that. He did in the Old Testament as well. The account from Ezra chapter 10 where uh, the Israelites had taken women that they didn't have a right to be married to, that it was against God's law and his instruction. They should not have had these women. What was the instruction to be right with God? Put those wives away, Ezra 10, verse 11. And down at the end of the chapter, Ezra 10, uh, down in verse 44, all these, it gives a list of people who did this in order to be pleasing God. It wasn't just one who had been influenced by some wacko preacher who was uh, hyper-legalistic. A long list of men who had done this. Verse 44 of Ezra 10, all these had taken strange wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. And in order to be pleasing to God, they put those wives away. And, no, no, they're hyper-legalistic. Ezra was just What you're off. saying there is this establishes the fact that God has demanded such things historically. Right. And, and for him to accuse us of having dreamed up some kind of legalistic approach to deal with this problem uh, is just false. Uh, Patrick, uh, by the way, Patrick, we haven't heard from him in a while. Pat, it's great to have you listen yes. to the virtual Bible study out in Iowa. He says... Uh, 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 whether we are legalistic or not, it doesn't matter what man thinks, only what God thinks. And I think that's right. In other words, if, if you're going to call us legalistic for teaching what Jesus taught on this subject, then so be it. Yeah. But but that's what we got to do. But that, again, is, is I think, a, a charge in, uh, built up for the reason of trying to produce a negative Oh, an reaction. emotional response. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah it's crazy. Okay, yeah. let's take a break and get this week's bullet point, and then we've got a pile of listener responses to this uh, claim, and we'll get through those quickly and go on with the discussion. So don't go anywhere. We'll continue right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. A man, a brother in Christ, has slipped away and fallen seriously into sin. Though he was once growing and active in the Lord's service, now he is distant, unconcerned, and clearly pursuing a different agenda. His brethren see his condition. They are aware of the spiritual danger he is in. All signs point to the fact that he is heading down a path to eternal ruin. Out of love for his soul and with knowledge of their own duty in such matters, as is taught in Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2, his brothers and sisters in Christ reach out to this erring one. 
They are crushed to think that one who once worked hand-in-hand with them in the Lord's service could now be so alienated from them and from God. They humbly try to encourage him, reminding him of things he already knows, but has chosen to ignore. They plead with him to, quote, repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Acts 8, verse 22. And what is the response from this brother in desperate need of rescue? Too often the response is one of bitter animosity and resentment. Instead of looking inwardly and humbly admitting his sins, he lashes out at those who are trying to help him. He has harsh words of criticism and disdain for them. His effort is to deflect attention away from his own sins and place focus on what he perceives as the failings of others. What this man fails to realize is that he never had such good friends as these fellow Christians who are committed to help him and restore him to a right relationship with God. It would have been easier, much easier, to look the other way and ignore the situation altogether. Let him go, clear his name off the church roll, and proceed as though nothing significant had happened. But love will not allow this. He is a brother, a friend, and they cannot, will not, let him go without a fight for his soul. Truly, he never had such friends as these. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. Welcome back to the program tonight. And as we talk about uh, claims that the Church of Christ is a cult. All right, we got some emails we need to read. Uh, Anthony in Columbia. Go ahead. Says this just leaves out lots of important details. But if someone wants to charge me with being legalistic, I'll plead guilty. Also, the point in this comment about not allowing someone to join the church. I'm not sure if I'd phrase it that way, but we certainly expect everyone, including ourselves, to repent of sin. One who refuses to repent, we must not keep company with. Okay. Chris in Atlanta. I'd like somebody to produce a, a passage in the New Testament that, that condemns what they would say is legalism and demanding that you follow what God has said. Someone produce that passage, please. You know, uh, the Pharisees, you know, we talk about the legalism of the Pharisees, but their problem was that they had built a number of their own rules. Right. And were demanding people adhere to their rules in addition to the law of God. Right. You know, and so they were rightly condemned for being legalistic. Yeah. But uh, Chris in Atlanta, our faithful correspondent from Atlanta, yes. says, what? Where did he get that example from? The topic of marriage, divorce, and remarriage is much too involved to cover adequately in a few sentences. He's just using a straw man argument. Oh, this is a recurring thing. Yeah. As far as Church of Christ being legalistic, what does he mean? If he means that we take the Bible, what we take what the Bible says seriously and are diligent to apply it to our lives, then yes, we are. If he means intolerant of sin, then again, yes, we are. If he means we try to bind things from people that are not in the Scriptures, then no, we are not legalistic. Good point, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Jim in Kentucky says, let them define what legalism means. If it means we try to obey God's will, holding fast to his word, then we are guilty as charged. What they often mean by legalism is the idea that one is saved by perfect obedience. We do not teach such. Yet at the same time, the question must be asked, what is the opposite of legalism? If it is not illegalism, you have two choices, obey God's word or reject it. You cannot reject it and be saved. Okay, good, Jim. Right on. Uh, and Chris in the U.K. says, as an outsider, remember, he's not a member of the Church of Christ, but he says, as an outsider, it was... It, could be seen that you have a high view that sin is sin and not to be trifled with, but is taught 
uh, but is taught a practice that should be done, not not must be done. Personally, as far as your example goes, I have certain cases where divorce is permissible, which are infidelity or desertion, and this seems to cover both, but I do believe only when an ex-partner dies for remarrying could be permissible. Uh, and I'm not sure I got that exactly right, but uh, we agree, Chris, that there are uh, there, there is, is one. There, there is ours. an exception. Yeah. There is an exception that makes remarrying permissible. Okay. And uh, Patrick in uh, Birmingham says, uh, he says, I'm not going to get too into this one, but I'll offer two scripture-filled passages, Mark 10, verses 2 through 12, uh, with uh, the question about adultery, and and, uh, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. Yeah. So uh, Patrick would agree, I think, with us on uh, the fact that uh, we need to remain married. All right. Uh, again, I I think that there, that that's uh, any anything from Don on that on that let, issue. Let's see here. Uh, I'm still getting emails. Let's see. Well, we need to dump some uh, of those to the printer, maybe. Uh, okay. Oh, that's just that's just one. The number oh, to call is toll free for, the, for that picture. Oh, for your picture. There you yeah. go. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. That's the best way for your thoughts to be heard tonight. Why not give us a call? The phone line is open, and we're ready to hear from you at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Okay. Uh, I think we've pretty well got that covered, Jacob. Again, he calls us legalistic, and then uses that divorce remarriage case without detail to prove that we are legalistic. And I, I don't think his case proves that. His case doesn't prove anything. He doesn't give us enough information to even know what he's talking about. All right. And I grow tired of these arguments that uh, that someone is being legalistic when they claim you've got to follow the instructions that God has given, as if you'd be okay with God. God would be fine with you just ignoring the instructions he's given, doing whatever you want to do, as Jim in Kentucky alluded to. All right. All right. Now, that brings us, and we've probably got time to cover these, I hope, Jacob. But, but again, there's so much more in this essay that I think we'll try to pick out a few more high points and deal with it next week. Yeah. But the, the third question we had uh, in which he gives, in his essay, he gives certain rapid-fire accusations. If the Church of Christ denomination, remember, we're saying what he said. We don't, we don't agree to that nomenclature of a denomination. We try, we're trying not to be a denomination. We're trying to be the church that Jesus uh, established in the first century. We're trying to do just as the church that we read about in the Bible did. And if that's the case, then we are not a denomination. But we're not getting into that tonight. Yeah, okay. we're, yeah we're going to ignore it. So he says, if the Church of Christ denomination is a duplicate of the original church and they truly speak where the Bible speaks and they're silent where the Bible is silent, then why don't they greet one another with a holy kiss? That's his first question. All right. Uh, what about that? What about the holy kiss? My question to this writer is, do you greet with a holy kiss? And if you don't, then that answers your question. Okay. Doesn't uh, it? I mean, if you don't think that the holy kiss is binding on you today, then there you go. We don't either. There's several references to the holy kiss in the New Testament. Yeah. Uh, I could give you a list of them, Romans 16, 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 20, 2 Corinthians 13, 12, 1 Thessalonians 5, 26, 1 Peter 5, 14. We're familiar with the fact that the New Testament talks about a holy kiss. Huh? Now, the mistake, I think the, the critical, fundamental flaw of this man's argument is that the Scripture, certainly kissing, a holy kiss, was a form of greeting in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. But the, but the fatal flaw in this man's argument is that he assumes it's the only form of greeting that was used in the New Testament, and it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, let, let me tell you, uh, 
We have salutations given by spoken or written word, by a wave or gesture of the hand, Acts 21, verse 40, and by a handshake, by a clasping of the hands. In, first, in, in Galatians, rather, in Galatians 2, verse 9, Paul mentions that James, Peter, and John gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship. Mm-hmm. So they were shaking hands in the first century, too. They were kissing. There are places in the world where they kiss. Hey, that's not our particular custom. But I have been in churches of Christ in other countries where they greeted with a kiss. Okay. And in that in in, in that culture, you do likewise. And it should be regulated by the at, instruction at, given there. At, actually, a holy kiss. actually, that's right. What Paul was saying, he wasn't establishing a a form of greeting by ordinance. He was regulating a practice that already exists in that Eastern culture of greeting with kisses. And he was basically saying, if you're going to kiss, make sure it's a holy kiss. Right. 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 Uh, but there, there are churches of Christ in this world. I have been to some personally where they greet with a kiss. Okay. And when you're there, you greet with a kiss, but it's got to be a holy kiss. It's interesting to me that if I, if I was building this argument and I was going to devote a whole website to proving that the church of Christ is a cult, the last passage I'd want to reference is Romans 16, verse 16, where it talks about a church of Christ being there. Yeah. You know, I don't get it. Uh, that sort of disproves your whole website, I okay. think. Real quickly, going to... Uh, uh, yes, 739 says, I thought I remembered a VBS dedicating a program to people like Alexander Campbell. The website used such pictures as the one Greg used. I, I, we, I seem like we did reference that picture once before. Yes, I've seen it before. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and guest 180 says a handshake, a pat on the back would be fine. And I think there's even scriptural precedents for a handshake of what we're just saying. Anthony says, holy kiss. First, this is false. I'm sure there are Christians who greet one another with a kiss in Europe and other parts of the world. But to the point, Paul was not instituting something new, something that would be unique to Christians. He was encouraging them to do something they were already doing, hence the lack of explanation. Furthermore, he was telling them to keep it holy. Holy kiss isn't like some kind of secret handshake. The holy was the emphasis of the statement as a reminder to keep the greeting oh, yeah. solemn and pure. Yeah, what, what is a holy? I mean, maybe the writer should define what a holy kiss would be then if we're supposed to do it. I mean, is there something? Yeah, yeah exactly. But Anthony, great analysis, exactly on point. And Chris in Atlanta says this verse and others that speak about greeting with a kiss is referring and emphasizing more to our attitude and joy we should have in our greeting one another and not the method. Different cultures greet each other in different manners. In some countries, it is still customary to greet with a kiss on the cheek. In America, it is not. In fact, you may get beat up if you do that here. He says he's joking. For yeah. Uh, uh, don't Jim, come at me with a holy kiss. <laughs> Jim in Kentucky says, without having to answer any of these questions, starting with the holy kiss and so forth, let us consider if they believe that all those things are to be practiced, including the holy kiss, for instance, do they do those things? In order for one's position to be valid, they have to approve that position. Right. In this case, they would have to practice those things themselves. In other words, they cannot claim that we are false because we don't do those things without also condemning themselves for not doing it. Exactly. That's right. All right. And uh, Chris in the U.K. Uh, says, uh, as he references this idea of greeting with a holy kiss, you may be like uh, me, a bit more reserved, so it's not all kisses all around. Kiss there means a token of love or friendship. As long as you show love or friendship, you're doing this verse. I think that's right. And again, there was not an exclusive pattern in the New Testament where the, the only right. greeting was by kissing. Right. Okay. Uh, and then uh, uh, Patrick, uh, I believe Patrick's in Birmingham. I yes, that's right. I think we so. haven't heard from Patrick in a while. Great to have you back with us on the Virgin Bible Study, Patrick. He says, greet one another the holy kiss. A, a plausible explanation is Romans 16, 16 is a reference to a lith- liturgical custom. In some cultures, 
as in the Middle Eastern cultures, it's not unusual for people, even people of the same gender, to greet one another with a kiss on the cheek. Being a cultural norm, this was integrated into the liturgy of, or public worship of the church. This practice continues even to this day in the Catholic Church and many other churches. However, the particular expression may differ in different places according to the cultural norms. In the Middle East, it still expresses kiss. In the United States, it's typically expressed as a handshake. Even in non-Catholic and non-Orthodox churches, such as the Church of Christ, many congregations have a similar practice where the congregants are asked to stand up and greet one another, generally by shaking hands. So even if they are unsure that they that they are doing so, they are in some sense taking part in this practice, which dates to the beginning of Christianity. Okay, interesting. All right. So again, I think what we got there, Jacob, is a pretty classic straw man. Oh, they don't agree with the Holy Kiss. They're not. They say they're the church just like the New Testament, but there's there's something they're not doing. They're not doing the Holy Kiss. Right. A false claim. All right. We'll take a break and go to the top of the hour, and we'll hopefully wrap up with these other claims that the author makes and uh, you're alluding to the fact we may do this again next week yeah finishing these up but we'd like your thoughts 877-381-4567 don't go anywhere we're back right after this don't touch that mouse the virtual bible study will be back right after this hello my name is trent haynes and i'm a member of the college view church of christ in a scanning of the book of proverbs it provides us several reasons to discipline our children to show you don't hate them he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Chapter 13, verse 24. To give them hope, discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Chapter 19, verse 18. To help them for a lifetime, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not turn from it. Chapter 22, verse 6. To chase away foolishness. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Chapter 22, verse 15. To save his soul, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and save his soul from death. Chapter 23, verse 13 through 14. For your own comfort, discipline your child, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Chapter 29, verse 17. Parents need to read and understand these passages. So too should our children. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America. And I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And we're back on the program tonight as we talk about uh, legalism and cultism and all kinds of other isms on the program. We want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ and not a cult that meets in Columbia, Tennessee. If you'd like to find out more about us, you can visit our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Or if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, come and worship with us. You won't find any cult practices here. You'll just find Christians wanting to worship God in the way he's prescribed. You can find out more about where we meet and our meeting times by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. What we're doing, Jacob, is we're analyzing a website that was sent to us by a regular listener, Ramona, in Texas. And the website's name is, Is the Church of Christ Denomination a Cult? You can go to that website. We don't care if you go. We're interested in dealing with the accusations of that website. We'd be glad for you to read them, and we'll answer them. That's what we're doing on the Virtual Bible Study. The website is CHOC. In other words, Church of Christ, C-H-O-C-D as denomination, C-H-O-C-D dot O-R-G. That's the website that we got this from. Uh, we don't know who, we we don't have a name of who, who wrote these accusations. We'd love to talk to them in Maybe person. we should. Maybe we should try that for next. But we'll, we'll try to be in touch, but the only way to send it is by snail mail, I think. Oh, really? There's, oh, can you believe it? 
Okay. Um, no phone number, no email, so we'll, we'll see what we can do. Uh, so uh, we're dealing with, he says, he says, if we are the duplicate of the original church, as we claim, then why don't we, we talked about greet with holy kiss, he goes on to say, why don't they have signs following them? And he quotes Jesus in Mark 16, 17 through 20. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Shall they cast out devils? They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Mm. Well, we, I think we can be pretty brief in our treatment of that yeah. question because we just spent a whole, a, a whole hour talking Two to Two hours. Because we had a follow-up, didn't we? we spent, well, we a week, and then we talked to the guy the week after. Yeah, yeah we, we spent two weeks talking with a, uh, about a situation in East Tennessee. West Virginia. Where, and West Virginia, where a snake-handling preacher was killed by a snake bite. And then the follow-up week, we talked to the fellow who preached his funeral and who is a snake-handling preacher. And it, it all centered on that verse. So I think we, I think we have adequately explained what we believe about Mark 16, 17 through The same 20. question uh, would deal with this the guy here on this one is why don't you have signs following you why aren't you taking up snakes if we're supposed to why aren't you yeah uh, but in, but in fairness jake if he's saying if you claim you are that church then why aren't you doing the what same they thing did. they did in that church okay but we we've thoroughly explained how we believe that the miraculous signs of the first century have ended uh specifically we've dealt with those signs from mark 16 uh uh, yeah, and so I, I don't know that we need to go. We reference you to the latter part of First Corinthians 13 to show you why we believe that we should not no longer do that. Yeah, Anthony, yeah, Anthony gives us a synopsis in one sentence. Believers certainly did have signs following them, but a, a circumspect study of the New Testament reveals that miracles or signs had a purpose and that they had an end long ago. The purpose was to reveal and confirm God's truth to mankind. Once it was revealed and confirmed, the signs were taken away. Exactly right, Anthony. Uh, Chris in Atlanta says these were signs that were given to the apostles. The age of miracles has passed. Agree. All right. Chris in the U.K. Uh, says these signs are that signs, and they do uh, are to point someone, uh, probably the Jews, as they seek such a thing, to Christ or the validity of what you're presenting. Now we have Scripture, the perfect or complete. Helios signs are not needed. Not a month ago you dealt with snake handling anyway. Right on, Chris. Okay. Uh, and then uh, Patrick, Patrick's a former member of the Church of Christ, now a Catholic, and he says, why don't they have signs? I'm, uh, he says, I'm pretty much skipping this one as the Catholic Church affirms that miracles are possible even in modern times. However, even so, I will submit 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 31. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles... In other words, this is a rhetorical question. It's important. This is a good verse, that, that uh, good passage that Patrick mentions. It asks rhetorical questions with the obvious answer, no. Are all apostles? No. Are, are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But he says, earnestly desire the greater gifts. I would assume the question you're speaking of the denomination as a whole, but if he is speaking about individuals, I would answer that Paul makes it clear that not all Christians have gifts such as working miracles i think he's right okay and uh, any others before we go on i think that's got it have we got anything in the chat room oh. uh our friend pat in iowa is wanting to get uh, a, a website x-churchofchrist.com 
he says it's a little silly, but uh, apparently that's another one similar to the, the one that we're analyzing tonight. Thank you, okay. All right, and uh, on to his next claim. You have, or do we have anything else in the inbox? I think that's it. Okay. Uh, the next claim. The next claim is why don't they sell all of their belongings and share everything with each other? He references Acts 2.45. They sold their possessions and good and parted them to all men as every man had need. Okay. In other words, he says that first church, that early Christian church, that early church of Christ, was uh, it was a commune. Yeah. They, they, they didn't hold personal property. They all sold their property, and, and they just lived out of a common fund. If you, in other words, he, and, and fairness to him, he's saying, I don't do this, right. but I don't make the claim you make. You claim you are that original church. Why don't you do what they did? Well, I would make the uh, argument that it was for a specific need that presented itself at the time because it is not the only example we have. We have examples of other Christians who still owned personal possessions, okay. one of them being the Apostle Paul, he references, he alludes to that in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verse 3, where he says, Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, that indicates that he hadn't done that. Okay, Though if good. he were to do that okay, uh, and he didn't have love, then it wouldn't profit anything. Uh, good. I think you're right. Um, uh, I've, I've made a couple notes here. Aquila and Priscilla had their own house. Mentioned in Romans sixteen fifteen and again in First Corinthians sixteen nineteen and I actually I think those were two different places. Mm -hmm. Philemon owned his own house. Philemon verse two, but probably in a verse that uh, helps as much as any. First Timothy chapter six. Notice what Paul told Timothy to teach. He said First Timothy six beginning verse seventeen. Charge them that are rich in this world, that yeah. they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us riches to all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Notice, they still had riches. And now he says, use your riches appropriately. But it is not true that all throughout the, the recorded history of the first century church, they sold all their personal possessions and lived in communal style. There was a special need that existed in Acts 2, and the Christians were giving generously to address that specific need, but it was not the exclusive pattern of the church in the first century. All right, let's uh, quickly go through our emails. Anthony in Columbia says, this is not the only example we see of Christian life. Therefore, it's not binding. There are several examples of Christians with secular jobs, owning homes, and otherwise living independently. Paul, Dorcas, Chloe, etc., uh, Chris says uh, in Atlanta, Chris says this verse does not state nor imply that they sold all their possessions. Verse 46 states that they were still meeting in their homes, which oh. indicates they held some, held on to some of their possessions. And, oh, good point. By the way, in Acts chapter 5, do you remember uh, Ananias and Sapphira? They sold some property. It says, verse one, Acts 5, verse 1, a certain man named Ananias mm -hmm. and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part to the, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart the light of the Holy Ghost, and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing to, in thine heart, that thou hast lied unto men, has not lied unto men, but unto God? He said, it was yours. You didn't have to sell it. And after you sold it, you could have done whatever you wanted with the money. Why are you lying about it? Yeah. All right. well, they weren't even, that's, even that's in a good argument. early chapters of Acts, they weren't taught that they had to sell everything. Excellent argument. Chris in the U.K. says this was not a command. 
To give is a command as in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians nine, as in as the Lord uh, leads you. Compulsion is not the way. Forced love is no love at all. The same with giving. Okay. Uh, and Patrick in Birmingham says, while it's possible that what we see here may have been some sort of communal living, not unlike monastism, and obviously such acts of generosity are commendable, it's also obvious that such things were not required of anyone. Here the word of Peter, and actually he mentions that. Okay, he says, while it, it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Exactly right. In other words, a person's property is theirs to do with as they wish. To sell all their belongings is voluntary, not obligatory. Furthermore, we have Matthew 19:16 through 22. Uh, this is the rich young ruler. Uh, the man who questioned Jesus asked how to gain eternal life. Jesus told him what was required, keep the commandments. However, after hearing the sermon, the man pressed Jesus further. Jesus replied, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor. This, along with some other teaching of Jesus, such as that regarding celibacy, are what traditionally called the evangelical councils or councils of perfection. They are not required, but they can be voluntarily practiced by those Christians who are seeking a greater degree of holiness. That, that There's some Catholic, there, there's some hint of Catholicism in what he says there, but so, uh, we'll, we'll pass on that. Okay. Uh, should we tackle another one, or should we? Uh, let's, let's squeeze another one. Okay. Uh, Do we forbid to speak in tongues? Yeah. The, the, next, the next one was, why do they forbid to speak in tongues? 1 Corinthians 14, 39 says, Brethren, covet to prophesy, forbid not to speak with tongues. If, now, if anyone so. could, we would not forbid it. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, I had an email from Rodney here that I didn't get printed off. Uh, and I don't know I have time to read it. Uh, he says, the Church of Christ doctrine on miracles tongues is that they came to an end with the termination of the apostolic age, also known as cessationism. One of the major supports of this doctrine is the application of necessary inference hermeneutic principle to Acts 8, which documents Philip preaching in Samaria, uh, I don't have time to read all this, Rodney, but he, Philip in Samaria was a man who could speak in tongues, but he couldn't. perform miracles, but he couldn't pass that on. Only the apostles could pass it on with the laying on of hands. Uh, then, of course, he says a major support for the doctrine is 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10, which refers to the partial being done away with when the perfect comes. The perfect is interpreted as referring to the perfect law of liberty, James 1, 25, including that miracles ended with the complete revelation of the New Testament. Uh, he says there are weaknesses with this interpretation. I don't believe so, but he says there are. Uh, for instance, the teleos, translated as perfect, is used to describe things in the New Testament other than just the law of liberty. Of course it is. But it's there used to describe, the, it's, it's the context is about God's revelation. And so the perfect in the context would be the perfect of the revelation, of the right. completed revelation. Right, right. Uh, I suspect, he says, that cessationism held by various denominations other than the Church of Christ may be a reaction to the abuses of charismatic churches and to the abuses of faith healers and attempt to, to argue uh, and attempt to argue Paul's rebuke of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, for their overemphasis on speaking in tongues and general disorderliness of worship. Uh, the Church of Christ possesses a biblical and admirable intention to speak as the oracle of God, but I fear has missed the mark in this matter. I disagree, Rodney, but appreciate your comment. Thank you for taking time to, to email us, Rodney. And, um, well, we're at the end of the hour. Yeah. We've got some held, held over, and Dan is uh, Dan is waving his arm. He, Dan, go ahead. Yeah, I was just want to ask you, just, just, just to double check, do you say we're going to actually follow up for tomorrow, yeah. uh, next Thursday yeah. as well? Yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we got a couple things we didn't finish this week, and we're going to pick up some other highlights from this man's essay 
deal with them. Dan, uh, use the Dan cam while you're talking. Yeah, there, there we go. How's, okay. There there Thanks, right, Dan. So I, was, I was also going to say, um, with uh, with websites, you have to register domain, and actually, I've done a who is lookup. So Do I you found the guy, him? Found the guy's name. You have registered. found. Okay. So uh, maybe we, we, need, maybe we, we can, can give contact. Him a call and see if he wants to. Yeah, come on the that's air. a good idea. Good right. work behind Thanks, the Dan. controls there, Dan. He's multitasking. Yeah, good. All right, but well, we're gonna we're gonna continue the discussion next week, Jacob. I'm gonna be out of town next week, but I'm oh, gonna, you're throwing under the gonna bus. Throw the throw the ball to you, and you carry it on. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll 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 do a handoff here. Wow. Okay. Well, there, there. I'm gonna need some help next week, so get your thoughts in, and, uh, and we'll, we'll try we'll to get go through and pick out some more things to talk right, about. And, and and we'll try to get the update out a little early next. Week. Okay, we'll do that. All right. Well, thank you for a good discussion, Dan. Thanks, Jacob. And thank you for being Dan here, Dan. Appreciate your Appreciate time tonight. Thank you, and uh, thank you for joining us on the other end of the line. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you'll make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.